Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Craig Doyle. This is the Rugby Tonight podcast. In this week's show, we welcome former Wales captain and Bristol forward Ryan Jones to the Rugby Tonight studio. Here's the best of our Rugby Tonight insight and analysis from Martin Bayfield, Austin Healy and Hugo Monday. Please welcome Ryan Jones. Wow, 2006, Wales' sexiest man. Big that was the first sexiest man, not the 2006. The first. The first. And the last. One, yeah. <laughs> um, good to have you here. How, how has life been uh, since retirement? I know you didn't want to retire. The shoulder just, just gave up on you in the summer, and, and that was it. Yeah, d- different, difficult, as we all know. It's something that all sportsmen sadly have to go. You know, we go through two retirements, if you like. But um, no, it's been, a, it's been a period of change, but it's been great on from another uh, viewpoint. You know, it's been a Rugby World Cup year, so we've had a fantastic time during that period. Great to spend Christmas with the family. But now it's on to, on to other things now. I guess the disappointment for you is not seeing Bristol's progression into the Premiership. You thought it might happen last year. Looking in pretty good state at the moment in the uh, Green King Championship. Um, how is it down there? How have they dealt with the disappointment and what are their hopes for the next five months? Well, it's been incredibly disappointing. Bristol's a wonderful city with, you know, one and a half million people in who are crying out for top-flight sport. You know? um, and I think the rugby club are able to deliver on it. It's, we, have a fan- we had a fantastic following. We have a fantastic following. You know? In playing in the championship on a Sunday, we would often get in excess of eight, nine thousand people. So it's it's a great rugby city, and I think just going up for, for the step into the Premiership, I see you'll see a totally different Bristol team. They really will ignite, and I think they'll they'll settle in that Premiership nicely. Were they really prepared to spend half a million quid, possibly euro, on Ian Madigan from Leinster? How much cash <laughs> is there down in the West Country? Yeah, I think there's a fair bit, you know. I th- but I think they they prepared to do whatever it takes to establish themselves at the top of English rugby where, where they feel, and rightly so, that they belong. A few quid down there, Bates. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Don't look at me. 18 <laughs> years since I last played. Fiver, maybe, just to clear up the change rooms afterwards. What about, what about the state, state of Welsh rugby at the moment? We're seeing now a lot of players quite comfortable now signing these dual contracts. It seems to have been a bit of a mess, a bit of a minefield as to what it, how they qualify, what Gatlin's law is now, but more and more players seem comfortable to come back and sign those contracts. Yeah, I th- again, I think there's an element of no-one wanted to be first or, you know, it was a, quite a difficult standoff to start with, but I think what it does give, give us is almost is a level playing field. It, it, with the, with the, backing, the financial backing of the Welsh Union, it gives us the ability to retain our best talent, you know, and as, as youngsters, young, young Welsh kids want to see their local heroes, you know, the, the stars of, of today playing uh, uh, regional rugby, which is, which is important. And hopefully it'll hold us, you know, within that arena where we can compete with the, the big clubs of England and, and France. How many are signed up now? Oh, crikey. 
I mean, it's not, it's not near a full squad. No, it's not can, a full can squad. Can it work unless you have kind of 35 players 17 there? Players, 17 players, so it's certainly climbing, isn't it? It's 17, climbing. yeah, and some of those are very much at the start of their career and have uh, seen as development and will go uh, a long time. Um, others are, you know, they're certainly looking to retain Alan Wynn as the next big name that they want to retain, um, guys of his calibre. But, um, you know, I think the goal is eventually to have a squad of retained players, you know, but it's, it's difficult to achieve that straight away. You're completely right. That would seem kind of entirely necessary, Oz, to get everyone on board, right? Well, you want to balance, don't you? I think you want some players maybe experiencing some of the things around the world, maybe in France, in England, wherever, uh, and then come back together. But ultimately, by the time you get to the next World Cup, you want at least half of that squad. And we've already got that situation, maybe more already signed up. One of Wales' biggest strengths over the last few years is the, the control that Warren has had over that group of players. You know, we all live within 60 miles of each other along the M4, which made training very easy. We all came together, we all played together at club rugby. So the management of those players was very good, which allowed them then to perform at, at the top level. How big a deal is that, Hugo? Just the mere geography of it all? Yeah, like you said, I mean, 60 miles, that does make things very easy, but you've got to kind of weigh up what's best for their personal development. You've seen Jonathan Davies go off to Claremont. I'm sure he's benefited from playing a Rougerie, playing a Stad Michelin, which has been fantastic. But then does that make it harder from a national level? And obviously with Warren Gatland being the boss, he's only concerned with what's best for Wales. And for him, it's having everyone within touch and distance. When you talk about the, the Welsh club, well, those provinces being able to keep up with the English and the French club, but when you look at it on an international scale, Wales are ahead. If you look at the, at the honours that have come Wales' way, for you, what is the standout moment in your career? Is it, is it Grand Slams or is it something more than that? Uh, it's tough. You know, I, I spent the last six months reflecting on it. I've had some wonderful one, personal accolades, Grand Slam, winning trophies, lifting silverware as a Welshman at the Millennium Stadium. You know, is something that we dream of. But you know, on a stranger note, the, the one moment that sort of stands out for me is this we the day we won the hacker, if you like, in 2008 against New Zealand, where we had a, we had a standoff, and sadly the referee didn't blow up then. We still went on and lost the game. Which was, uh, <laughs> it was pretty special. We've got a question actually here from uh, somebody on Twitter for you. It's uh, from Ugo Monya. Um, it says, um, what happened in 2009? You travelled a long way around the world. <laughs> yeah, 2009, oh. I am. Um, <laughs> thanks, thanks, Ugo. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's not for me, but it's an interesting story. Yeah, I was touring uh, Canada and <laughs> New Zealand, flew back to London on the end of that tour, uh, Wales tour, and was called up again to the British and Irish Lions. So I proceeded to fly all the way to Cape Town, essentially had a calamari salad, uh, 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 went to see a neurosurgeon who deemed me not fit, and then got on the same plane that I flew down on that evening and flew back to London and that was <laughs> my second Lions tour. I presume there was, a, there was a medical reason why you weren't fit, he just didn't like he, you. Well, he, well I, it was a medical I had concussion was the, the issue, but he, he was South African, so I think he had... Uh, it was the same for me, right, and I flew to Australia for one day, but I was fit, they just didn't like me. <laughs> <laughs>some of Eva Premiership action. Now, 2015 had been decidedly mediocre for the Northampton Saints. Tries and wins hadn't exactly flowed. So with the Exeter Chiefs sitting second in the table and visiting Franklin's Gardens, things had to improve. And JJ Hanrahan started. Um, comparing him to Stephen Myler, difficult in these conditions for a 10. You don't really see their true game. I'm not saying he's better, I'm not saying he's worse. He's just a different style of player to Myler, isn't he? And when you look at the stats, he's got twice as many carries to Myler in half the time. Maybe that's just the, the tone of his game, is it, lads? 
Yeah, I think so. He's certainly more of an attacking uh, threat at 10. I think he wants to take the ball to the line a little bit more. He asks more questions of the defence. There have been horrific conditions the last few weeks, so those stats probably aren't a true reflection of the quality of two of them. But I think what they have there is what's similar to what Saracens have. You've got Charlie Hodgson and you've got Owen Farrell. You've got two first-class fly halves that you can flit in between. I think the last time Northampton had that was when Ryan Lamb and Stephen Marley did that. Created a little bit of uncertainty as to who was your first choice, but I think at the moment for the last couple of weeks, what we've seen and the fact they scored their first try of the Premiership since May, Hanrahan seems to be their number one. I think it's more important though, not the difference between the players, but where Northampton are as a side and the way the style of play that they're playing. They've been way too lateral. We've done a few demos on it. I'm sure they've spotted it themselves, but he gives you a little bit more uh, direct running. He makes a decision early and he goes to the line. He's not afraid to take the ball into contact. And sometimes that's not a bad thing from a 10, particularly you don't want to get caught between two plans, either distributing wide or waiting for a forward. The ball's available, take it forward, try and get fastball and get around the corner with your forwards quickly. And, that, and that's why I like him as a player. Emron, just a quick word on the Chiefs. They went into that game with 27 tries scored. I mean, unbelievable stuff. But the Saints, I suppose, the big boon for them was keeping them down to three points. You know, the Chiefs are going to have to work out these bad conditions and a bit of dog to grind out wins, aren't they? Yeah, I, I think you have alluded to the bit of dog, but they need to vary their game slightly. You know, they are they are physical, they are direct. But the Ospreys did it down to them in, in the Champions Cup as well. They managed to strangle them, and stifle them, take them away from that from their game. And when they were out of that comfort zone, they weren't able to quite dog it out and be just direct enough to, to grind out those wins. Which coming into what are we going into January, February, March with the weather the way it's going to be, they're going to have to do. Yeah. Hugo, we look at London Irish. We thought that maybe they turned a corner last weekend by toppling Northampton Saints. They certainly had a tough start to the Premiership, playing most of the top sides from last season. But they, didn't, they couldn't capitalise on it. They almost went back to their old ways against Gloucester. Yeah, it was a bit frustrating. The first half, they got some really good momentum, scored some early tries. Lewington, who I think, has been outstanding with Johnny Williams at 12 and 14. But they weren't able to sustain that momentum. Soft in defence. They're very their line speed against Northampton was outstanding. And this is what they built it off. You're just seeing Northampton power game. If you can stop them physically, if you can match them fire with fire, they struggle. Luther Borough has to come back on the inside and what's waiting for them. Easy for these guys, the Irish players, to stay on their feet and turn it over. Against Gloucester, they don't have many numbers on their feet. They're offering up that wide space. Easy for Gloucester to get over the gain line. And effectively, that's where the game was won and lost. I think the elements play a big part in that as well. It's very difficult to get line speed on a pitch that is in such disarray like that was. I mean, it was a complete mess. And it's one thing I think Premiership Rugby's got to look at. I know we've had really bad weather, but we've got to have good playing surfaces. If you can't get a decent footing, you can't get line speed. And also in that game, the wind was particularly strong and most of the game was played on the right-hand side of the field. So it was tough for Irish, but they almost, they're getting better aren't they? Well, they have to get better really soon. They have to get better by the weekend because they have got the Falcons this weekend. That's going to be a huge game. One of the big issues, Ryan, was the penalty count in the second half for London Irish. It was 10-zip. So discipline, a big, big issue. How do you fix something like that in five or six days ahead of a huge game? And looking at the table there, you can see how big a game it is for both sides. Discipline in, in the modern game is huge, isn't it? You know, we talk about the game is dictated to now by territory, possession, you know, and... Uh, Discipline is the single biggest factor that can, can affect that. You can see points or, or yardage. Um, you know, in the coming week now, you have to review it. You have to attribute that, those, that ill discipline to a reason. You know, you've got to point fingers. You have to make it personal to see if individuals need to pick themselves up or whether it's a team discipline, which is, which is a bigger concern. If you're, if you're coached to play in a certain way that the referees don't like, that's an issue that can't be turned around in six days. Great. So now let's start talking about the shove and grunt. Let's start talking <laughs> forward stuff. Let's talk about... Leicester Tigers against Saracens. Three penalty tries, two from scrums. I mean, you just don't expect that from the Tigers. 
you've been looking at, uh, at what happened, casting your expert eye over it. <laughs> Where did Tigers go wrong? Because you don't expect to see them bullied the way they were. No, you don't. But the, the, let's, let's give Saracens a big partner back here. This is a team, team that is, and a, a group of forwards that is rotated, but they've, they've got a culture, if you like, a forward culture. And the two big things that stick out, stand out for me is the one that united. You know, they like the scrimmage for a long time. Their body position and profile is very, very good. And they're technically a bit cute. Eddie Jones will be announcing his EPS, his elite player squad, in nine days' time. And we're just going to look, guys, at the backs. We'll go on to the forwards next week, but tonight we're looking at the backs that he may select. Over to you. Well, as you can see, uh, Ugo's already picked Danny Kerr. His best man at his wedding next year uh, is the godfather to Danny's uh, son. Uh, so Danny Kerr's already picked for him. I, I have to disagree with you here, though, Ugo. He's been brilliant for me. He's really kind of enjoyed his leadership role at Harlequins, and this is the very reason why I picked Danny as my England nine. His just ability just to really change a game in a heartbeat. This is poor defending from, from Bath. But for me, he can be the catalyst. He can really touch that light paper outstanding in terms of his running line. Scored a boatload of tries this season for Harlequins. Really reborn, as well as his game management as well. Yeah, well, you're wrong. Um, but <laughs> I, would, uh, I would pick Youngs, actually, because as we saw in all those shots, Danny was playing in sunshine and great weather. We know the Six Nations is very rarely like that. I think Youngs has got a better all-round game. His quick-tap game is excellent. His ability to score tries, as we saw against Munster earlier on in the year, where he attacks the fringes really well. And he's a, he's a leader, like Danny. They both have experience, they both have knowledge. Uh, but I think he would complement our next player a little bit better than Danny would. Certainly. Eddie Jones clearly looking for a fresh start for a lot of people. Top spoken about this clean slate. Another guy's playing really well. You've got to chuck into the mix. There's this man here, Joe Simpson, playing really well for Wasps. A little bit turbulent in the Premiership, but their performances within Europe have been outstanding. We know about his pace, but for me, his intelligence in this running line just plays off offside. The speaker, Richard McCall doing that in defence. Joe Simpson does it here in attack. Lightning pace from the guy. He's got, to ha he's got to be in the mix. OK, mentioned Chudley as well and Wigglesworth, both the different styles of play, both playing well. Let's move on to fly-off. For me, it has to be this guy, Farrell. He's the best 10 in the league, he's the best 10 in Europe, he's playing brilliant rugby, and I include, include Carter in that as well. He has to be the starting 10. Let's not mess around with his position. Yeah, I agree. I think he has been the best 10 in the Premiership, but I think they may have to sacrifice his brilliance at 10 for the combinations at 10 and 12. I would go for Ford at 10. And then I would go for this guy here, Mr. Farrell at 12. We don't know how uh, Eddie Jones wants to play, but from my reckoning, I reckon he was going to go for Henry Slade at 12 to complement that kind of ball playing ability. Second set of eyes, I'll go Ford, 10, Farrell at 12. Well, I think well, it's, how I much think does it's that so just, just quickly jumping in, how much does that change things, Eddie Jones, how he wants to play? What does one combination offer that the other one It's all does? based on units, it's based on style, it's based on weather and the backs, whilst they don't have as much influence as they used to have, I think that it will play a big part in his thought process. It, another big part in that would be, have they got enough power in that back line? Without Tuolangi, you don't really have a great ball carrier, he's a very good decision maker, but you lose that ball carrying ability and you're automatically shifted into width. So you're wrong, uh, so we'll take Ford away. Uh, he's not in great form, we'll leave Farrell at 12. If Tuolangi's fit, has he got enough time? Probably not, has he? Yeah. He's only got two or three weeks, may find himself down on the bench here. So you quite like the sight of Burrell at the minute, he's playing decent rugby. Yeah, he's playing decent rugby, he possesses a naughty fade, but he gets you over the gay line more than anything. Playing really well for Northampton, their back line 
on, hasn't really been functioning, been limited in terms of tries, but this guy's really stood out. If you want that ball player, sorry, that ball carrier at 12. Okay, let's move on to the 13 channel. And uh, obviously it's probably a two horse race. I'm looking for him, I can't see him. Where is he? Just there he there. is, he's Joseph. It's between these two guys, isn't it? Yeah, for me, um, JJ, he's, he gives you the experience, but Elliot Daly, X Factor, he is your form 13 for so many different reasons. Uh, we've spoken about at length, about his length, outstanding off the kicking TA base. I know you're a fan of that, but he's just brilliant. His instinct to play rugby, you can't really shut this guy down because he's got pace, he's got guile, he's got footwork and balance. We see it in space here, as well as decision-making. And also, he's got a great left foot, as you said. Gives you a good kicking option. Joseph could potentially cover the whole back three off the bench. He's had a few injuries. He's coming back from injuries. He's got better form to come out of him. So do there you, are centres. Do you centers. think Daly, we've seen a resurgence in Daly because he knows there's been a change in the England setup. He now has a real chance. Yeah, well, I think for the last couple of years, he has actually played really well, but he probably didn't have the belief that regardless of how well he played, he'd get a chance. Now, Eddie Jones has come in. The first thing he said, clean slate for everyone. And if that's the case, he's got to be given a chance. Let's move on to quickly now, because the most difficult positions, I think, to pick, the back three. Yeah. Um, because these are, uh, most people think it's about your speed, it's about your ability to beat players. Yes, that's important, but how good you are in the air, what your positional play is like, is crucial in the Six Nations, because there's an awful lot of kicking. So for me, on the right wing, and this may be a surprise to a lot of people. I am going to go for Chris Ashton. He's got the wrong number on, but let's stick him on the right wing because that's where he plays. He's a proven finisher. He's got experience. And most importantly, he's a winger. So he knows how to play there. He certainly is. I mean, I, I like Ashton. I think he's really benefited from how um, Saracens have been going. Although he's got 11 on his back here, I've got to go for Anthony Watson. Top try score for England in the World Cup. He's playing at 15 for Bath at the moment, but he is a deadly customer. Um, his ability just to beat players for fun. Um, his metres made is outstanding. Defenders beaten, you can just see it there. Bath haven't gone well. He's shone for Bath, though. And I think with this new style of play, he's a guy who could beat deadly. One reason I don't pick him, and this is something that he can learn, he's never scored a try around the outside. He always steps back to the inside, finds support, because that's what 15s do. Apart and I'm not from, picking him, and I'm older than you, so I get the choice. Apart from when he did do land in the pre-season. Apart from in pre-season at Twickenham. Apart from that, apart from that one, apart from that one. <laughs> On the opposite wing, I think we both agree, don't we? Uh, work rate, oh. guy works on the inside of the ball, uh, fantastic guy. There's some arguments down here, I think Addison's having a great season, May's out, but this guy's work rate, again, he knows what he's doing, he's strong over the ball, and he, if I was playing fly half, he's the sort of winger I'd want around me because he tracks the ball really, really well. He's carrying a fridge a little bit here on this break, <laughs> but that aside, he still manages to get up and score the try. I think he's the guy that we both agree on and he goes in. Yeah, 100%. Now that Johnny May is injured. There are some notable mentions. Christian Wade, I think if he was fit, he's someone that could benefit. Um, also, Will Addison, been brilliant for sale, he's been outstanding. And Johnny May as well. I mean, he's injured, so he's not getting a look in at the moment. And we still got to pick the fullback, actually. It's a two horse race do. again. Well, it's not actually for me. Good's the best player. Uh, he should be in the team. I know you want to pick your best mate, Brown. <laughs> I know he's your best man at your wedding. But. He's the guy I think's got to be in the team because the way he creates for guys on the outside, if we're going to pick Ashton, yep. you need this guy in the team because Ashton will sniff out tries that this guy creates and it gives you another 10, another kicking option and a good brain. Yeah, no, outstanding. Mike Brown been England's probably most outstanding back for the last three years. However, Alex Goode has been putting in a hell of a shift this year. He's been playing brilliantly for, uh, for, for Saracens. Also, you can't forget 
I mean, we talk about potential players or potential stars, maybe not for this Six Nations, but Mike Haley up at South, been outstanding. Top metres made, defenders beaten. He's a brilliant guy, whether it be this EPS or South. Well, as you say, there's been a load of tweets, actually, Babes, coming in. Rocco Daguni, we haven't mentioned yep. him, been playing very well this season. That's from Maria Yedoust. Uh, we've got uh, Chris Pennell, doesn't get a mention. Yep. Uh, Andy Good, the new look Andy Good, uh, <laughs> potentially could be in the squad. Um, he could be the bus for the squad. Uh, Shirley Wasboy, Elliot Daly, Joe Simpson looking. Yes, we agree with you there. Who else have we got? Beaumont, Ewers, Clifford, Fraser, Daly, load of forwards. Hill next week. Um, we'll be arguing about those guys. And finally, one guy who I think will get mentioned next week when Ben is back, Tommy Taylor at Hooker. Yeah. Yeah. Having a fantastic season. I mean, yeah. the encouraging thing, of course, this is just the best. The encouraging yeah. thing, guys, is the number of players who are genuine contenders now for an England starting 15. I mean, roll that back a few years. We would not have had this number. Oh, no, it's brilliant to have this amount of players. The fact is, regardless of who you put into the team, would be brilliant. It, we haven't seen Sam Burgess's one. That's not been made up, but we're not quite sure whether he's a back or forward. He could make the turn as well, hey? What's yes. So, Eddie, if you're watching at home, I'm sure you are, because you've been watching <laughs> a lot of rugby recently. There's our team for you. Ladies, Natasha Hunt, Eleni Scarrett, Rachel Burford are going to be playing sevens in Rio, the Olympics. How exciting is that? Not just for women's rugby, but for rugby as a whole. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's, de it's in the back of our minds at the minute. Um, we've got a lot of tournaments to get through. I think we've got eight tournaments to get through before that point, and obviously risk of injury, etc. Um, just making sure you stay on the ball. But it's going to be incredible. Like For whoever gets to go out of our squad, it's going to be an unbelievable thing to be part of an Olympic Games and something that everyone's really building towards at the minute. Emily, before we look forward, let's look back as well, because the rise of the women's game has been absolutely sensational. World champions and now Olympic rugby. Do, do you pinch yourself sometimes to think that I'm playing rugby at just the right time? Because this is amazing. Yeah, I think when I first started playing rugby, especially when I first got captain, never believed that we'd be able to be professional. Um, and now we all do it as, as our job, which is, you know, if we do pinch ourselves, it is a dream come true. And, like you say, off the back of 2014, having it now in the Olympics and having that opportunity to play on the greatest kind of global sporting stage that there is, is, you know, it's really exciting for us. Let's talk uh, Olympics, Rachel, and talk what it means, because it is one of those titles which just stirs the spirit and Olympic Games. Yeah, I think it's huge. I think everybody gets behind the Olympic Games, whether you're, it's rugby or it's football. You know, you just look at the women's football and how that took off. And, you know, it's going to reach new fans, new people, and hopefully that's going to, you know, have a, a ripple effect post the Olympic Games that more people want to pick up the rugby and get involved. Let's have a look and see what you've done to get to this point, because there's been various qualifications that have been needed. So you secured qualification back in May and then in October, players from Wales and Scotland joined to become Team GB. Let's talk about this, this getting the players in from the other countries. Emily, what's it like suddenly having the Welsh and the Scots alongside you? Yeah, I mean, to start with, it was probably slightly strange, probably more strange for them coming into an English programme. I think if it was the other way around, it'd be, you know, a daunting prospect for us. But they fitted in really well. You know, they're there on merit because they're good enough to be there. And actually, they're putting their hands up as, as much as the rest of us are. And it's creating a really, really kind of um, competitive environment. And, you know, heading towards Rio, it's, it's going to be really tough. Let's just clarify one thing, Rachel. What about the Irish players? They select themselves, do they, as an Ireland team? 
Yeah, so they're independently, um, they're currently, they, this year they got onto the World Series, so there's still an opportunity for them um, later this year to, to try and fight for that spot for Rio, and we wish them the best of luck, but um, yeah, our focus is very much on ourselves. Absolutely, and Sasha, let's look ahead then, what comes your way, because it's going to be pretty, pretty busy. This is the road to Rio, you're going to hear that a lot over the coming <laughs> months, there's a sevens tournament in March. And then that moves on to, to, to more, more tournaments and more competitions, I suppose, gelling this side. At what stage does it get trimmed down to the squad that heads off to Rio? Oh, so I think we've got a holding camp um, late July and obviously the Olympics is, takes place the first weekend of August. So we won't know as a squad probably until mid-July who the actual 14 that will travel to Brazil will be. Um, and our squad at the minute is 23, so it's cut substantially. Uh, so yeah, it's just keep your foot in the door, keep your hand up and keep playing well. Nerve-wracking times, uh, but no rugby, no 15s rugby. There's been a ban on that. What's the reason behind that? <laughs> yeah, so we're not playing any club rugby this season just because our focus is sevens. It is quite difficult to kind of switch between the two. They're very, very different games. Um, and, you know, when you're looking ahead to an Olympics, you can kind of, kind of see why they put the, the brakes on 15s. OK, and what about the... Is sevens a, a sport that you are sort of switched into? Has it always been 15s? Or is it, is it taking a while to get your head around sevens now? Because it is, as we've seen, as it's grown in importance, a very, very different discipline. I think over the years, a lot of us have done both. We've been, had, we've been playing sevens and 15s throughout the years, and it's the first time we've really just focused in on the sevens. And I think, so for us, we're quite experienced in both codes, and being able to make that jump is quite, quite easy for us. And the fact that we're full-time in it, has actually allowed us to be able to excel in it and hopefully go bigger and better beyond this year. It's going to be, as I said, you know, the women's game is just growing and growing and growing and now it's right up there side by side with the, with the men's game, which is the way it should be. But you picked a nice place for your first Olympics, <laughs> Rio. 6th to the 8th of August in Rio. That's going to be fun. Yeah, it will be incredible. Like, hopefully we just keep our hand up, yeah, and definitely we're all looking to be there, aren't we, as long, as alongside all the other girls, so we'll see. Let's just reflect on the reality of another wet weekend of rugby in England. Let's catch up with the rest of the games in round eight of the Aviva Premiership. Well, Worcester might be well grateful of that losing bonus point come the end of season. Bun fight for relegation. 12 points. They're looking really good. They are looking kind of safe, you'd have to say. But Saracens up top. Unbelievable. Scored the most points. Conceded the least. 24 tries for. Five tries against. And they are really dominating in the Northern Hemisphere at the moment. Really, really good season for them so far. The top four, the Chiefs, hard Harlequins and Leicester Tigers. Northampton Saints, well, they are uh, still quite a way behind. 15 points behind Saracens. Are they about to click into action? But really, the headline of the weekend has to be the fact that Newcastle Falcons are now on six points and that relegation battle looking very, very tasty. I'm sure the clubs get really annoyed when we talk about relegation battles at this stage of the season, but uh, it's, a, it's a fact of the league. It's so tight. Well, it's a difference, isn't it, from last season? Because with London Welsh playing so poorly, we kind of knew that they were going to go fairly early on. Second or third week, we thought, yeah, they're done. Now there really is a battle. And I wouldn't say, Austin, that Bath have been dragged into that relegation battle, but they're far closer to it than we would have expected. Mike Ford not happy maybe with the mental approach of his players, but they're also making life very difficult for themselves. You get the feeling they are feeling the pressure. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I went to watch them training uh, early on in the season and they were sensational in training. And I thought they would really kick on this year from where they were last year. But there was an interesting quote there from Mike Ford said he didn't think that they were mentally ready. Now, last year they had this guy called Don McPherson, the monkey man, uh, who helped all the players and the team prepare for pressure, deal with pressure, deal in the now. And he's no longer at the club. He left in May. And, and you think that there's, there's an element really that maybe they're missing that sort of mental preparation, that ability to control themselves under times of stress and uh, you know they've still got huge amounts of talent in that squad and it it almost beggars belief that they they haven't been able to alter their style and their mentality into different matches so I, I did say to him actually do you think people have worked this diamond formation out and he said no if you do it right you can't stop it and that is true but unfortunately there's too many individuals making errors at crucial times and, and that affects the whole side Ryan I wonder what the view is sorry base but I wonder the view is from <laughs> Wales about Bath you know they're able to bring in all these big names seemingly everything looks rosy and the season's just not too great at the moment. What are they saying back home? Poaching all our players, aren't they? That's what I was going to say, but I let you say it. Yeah. <laughs> no, look, and, um, it doesn't seem like a happy place. You know, we've obviously the guys they've had a, gone through a bit of a turmoil within, aren't they? With his Burgess leaving and whatnot, and you wonder whether that's having an effect on on, on that mindset as well. Because we all know that if a, if, a, if you've got a happy, confident group, you know that will get results. That's what Saracens are. Saracens are a, a club that is confident, that is happy as a group, and are performing for each other. You know, you wonder whether you've, that infight in a bath is slowly. We've slowly. all been there, though, Ryan, haven't we? When a big name gets signed at a club, and you, all the players immediately think, right, well, that's great, but he's got to earn his way into this team, and it didn't happen with Burgess. He didn't earn his way into that side. He was dropped straight in at the detriment of Eastman, who has, you know, worked his way up that ladder, really. And I think, like you said, that has really affected them in terms of who they are as a group of players. And they need to regroup and refine themselves, definitely. It doesn't help when the player's feeling that pressure and it manifests itself in various ways. Indiscipline is a huge part of this, Hugo. They are making life difficult for themselves. And by doing that, they're handing cheap points, easy points, to the opposition. Yeah, well, they've got a few problems. Confidence, inaccuracies, and the worst of them all is discipline because you can control that. And you look at the stats here. I mean, unbelievable in terms of the penalties. Conceded 103, top of the tree, but also the yellow cards are killing them. Every single match, it seems to, I think, 11 yellow cards this year, which really, really has a massive effect on them. So a uh, combination of all those things don't really paint a pretty picture at Bath. Ron, when we looked at... I don't know whether you were paying attention. <laughs> when we're talking about the, the possible EPS squad and the backs. One name that wasn't mentioned, because there's so many to get through, was Danny Cipriani. Um, what's your view on Cipriani? Well, he's, he's a talent, isn't he? Uh, but it's how he's, it's the management of him. You know, he's, he's, he's got a wonderful variety to his game. We, we all know that. And he's got a, there's not many times out there. He's a, he's a game changer, if you like, isn't he? You know? um, and I think, he, I think he might thrive in Reddy Jones, actually. I think given he's obviously a guy who needs people to believe in him. You know, he needs, he needs that faith in him. But world, Northern Hemisphere rugby and, and even world rugby now relies on a game running 10, you know. We've seen, you know, we've just seen these clips here. The, the guy's got it all. It's just whether he can package it up, maintain a composure and a mindset that's good for the rest of the team as well. That's the difficulty with playing 10 as well. Yeah, you're absolutely right. You know, Mike Ford's talking about mindset, how Bath don't have it right. Well, Danny Cipriani, with the right mindset, with a pack going forward, could potentially be one of the best fly halves that this country's seen. He's outstanding. 67%. It's not going to get picked for England. Yeah, if your goal kick in 67%, you ain't wearing the 10 shirt. So until that goes up, he's got everything else. He controls the game very, very well. But that is the biggest factor in his selection. Right. Um, did you know there are other teams other than England playing in the Six Nations, right. Ryan? I don't know if they actually knew no. that. Would you mind if we talked about them? Would that feel OK with everyone? We'll start with Wales. I want to start with Dan Bigger as well, because he's shown such fine form at the moment, isn't he? 
Yeah, he's the best ten in the British Isles, I, I believe. Um, I'm sure if you agree or not, but he's, he was a guy who's been instrumental to everything that's been good about Welsh rugby in the last 12, 18 months. He's a guy who's grown in, in maturity. Um, he's got a, he's, he has a physicality, he has a directness, and he, his game management is superb, and that lends itself to the way Warren Gatlin wants to play. Wales have a very, very structured style of play, and it, the, the mantra is that we know exactly what we're going to do, we're fit enough, and we're going to implement that, and you have to live with it if you, if you are to beat us. Um, another man's caught your eye, Garrett Davis, this season. Yeah, I think, again, he's a guy who came from nowhere, essentially, in the World Cup. He was, wasn't really on anyone's radar, and he stepped in for the injured Reese Webb. But, you know, following a, a, a couple of niggles, he's, he's picked up where he left off, and he's got, he's got a physicality and a, an electric pace, if you like, in and around that breakdown. He challenges defenders. He gets out of the second, third defender, and he asks questions of them. He's a, and he's instrumental to everything. That relationship with, with Dan Bigger, he's stepped into that the Reese Webb boots, if you like, and they've managed to pick up, and it's, it's key to everything that goes on there. It's, there's a real good relationship there. Now, last night in Ireland, um, there was a little get-together of 48 players. It wasn't quite a, an Ireland squad gathering, but a little impromptu kind of meet for Joe Schmidt and guys that might feature in the Six Nations. 11 Ulster players in that, four from Connacht as well, which is great because they're doing so well in the Pro 12. But uh, Paddy Jackson in, in the thick of that. We've seen a lot of him with Ulster over the course of the European competition. Hugo, he's looking really good. He is arguably the informed 10 ahead of Johnny Sexton at the moment in Ireland. I think so. We saw Johnny Sexton against Toulon a couple of weeks ago. It wasn't that impressive, but Paddy, Paddy Jackson... Outstanding for a small guy. He's not afraid to take the ball to the line. He, he threatens every time he's got the ball, but his variation of his pass, his range of passing is brilliant, as well as his kicking out of hand and control being brilliant. Are the Irish really going to drop Sexton to pick Paddy Jackson? No. I don't think no. so, uh, but he's a good addition to the squad. I think he's got a bit of a knock, actually, from the weekend. Leinster are looking better and better, but they've got to find form pretty soon. Uh, one young man who's... He's not quite bursting on the scene because Leinster seem to be holding him back a little bit is Gary Ringrose. Brian O'Driscoll, one of our team, of course, talking about this guy, saying he has to play in the Six Nations. He's a stunning young centre. He really is. Great feet. And he's like O'Driscoll himself in the same mould, Ryan. Yeah, you've hit the nail on the head there. You know, what, what accolade that is. You know, he's a guy who, who plays in a similar child. He's got the same skill set, hasn't he? You know? And he's, he's growing and learning his, his trade, if you like. Whether this Six Nations is a Six Nations too soon, I'm not, I'm not sure. There's actually lots of uh, young centres around at the moment. You know, we thought with Darcy retiring and Brian, of course, retiring, we thought they might be bereft of them for a while. Uh, we know about Luke Marshall, had a lot of concussions up in Ulster, finally back playing regular rugby. But the man alongside him, Stu McCluskey, he's a giant of a fella. He's six foot four, almost 17 stone. But he's not just a battering ram, he's got lovely feet, good hands as well, Hugo. Yeah, he certainly is. I mean, by the frame of him, six foot four, 17 stone, you think he's just a north and south player. But we see here his outside break, his balance, his footwork, and the that power, which is exactly what you need to get on the front foot, um, he's got to feature in the Six Nations. But like you said, the likes of Gordon Darcy, Brian and Driscoll going, there was a morning for them. But we are looking at the future, and there's so many different combinations depending on how Joe Schmidt wants to play. A lot but, of uh, people agree with you, actually, on Twitter as well. Bill Lindsay's mentioned McCluskey. Uh, a lot of chat on here for Tom James for Wales to, come to play. Uh, Duncan Taylor we haven't mentioned. Yeah. I yes. mean, he's playing great rugby, isn't well, he? Well, this is it. Coming on to Scotland, what are they going to do? I suppose... It's the hangover from the World Cup, Austin, isn't it? Was that the height of their aspirations? Can they push on from that? And who's going to be their playmaker? We talked, Duncan Taylor. What about Finn Russell? Is he the man who's going to pull the strings and get Scotland going in the right direction, pick up from the World Cup? I think, having spoken to Laidlaw, we went down and we interviewed him for, for a Rugby Tonight Extra a while ago. There's a certain... Um, 
I don't know what the word is, that, that, that they want to keep going. They feel like they're right on the tip now. They're ready to explode and, and, and move on to the next stage. And uh, I think they've got the talent throughout that back line to do it. They've, they showed some good style of rugby. You know, players like Maitland, uh, Dunbar in the back line as well. And I think that Taylor is a, a great addition to that squad. Um, don't you? Okay, what about Duncan Taylor? What do you think of him? Yeah, he's an outstanding. <laughs> <laughs> You've got. Yeah. No, he's played brilliantly well for Saracens. Saracens' game has really progressed this year, as has Duncan Taylor's. Um, regardless of the weather conditions, he's been outstanding. I remember watching him in Ulster. That ability just to offload one-handed there is brilliant. In wet weather, you want front football and you want guys to be able to finish off tries. And he's really thriving in that atmosphere for Saracens. Uto, as a fellow who loves Jue Jue rugby, this back line has the potential to explode all over the park. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, you guys are just trying to stitch me up. What do you see the potential of this Scottish Scottish team, this Scottish Yeah, well, line? I think they really, they really enjoyed their, their World Cup. Obviously finished in, in pretty bad circumstances, but like you said there, they've really... What's up, Austin? My ribs are sore. They, they really do have that hunger to really push on into the Six Nations. Well, let's hope they rise to the occasion, shall we? <laughs> um, well, I mean, we've got a lot of rugby coming up this weekend, and it's a bit of a hybrid because, of course, we had those rearranged games from the first round of European rugby. So on Friday night, 7.45, it's bordeaux Burgler against Clermont. That'll be a massive French encounter. Exeter Chiefs take on Gloucester. Can Exeter get back to winning ways? Gloucester actually are creeping up very, very slowly, very methodically at the moment. They're a bit higher than possibly than most people thought they would be. They're playing excellent rugby. Quinns take on Saracens. A huge challenge for them. But what about this? The East Midlands derby, Leicester Tigers against the Northampton Saints. You can guarantee Tigers will not be pushed around in the way they were against Saracens. Saints got their victory. It wasn't impressive, but it's a win nonetheless. The 235th meeting between those two teams. London Irish, they take on Newcastle Falcons. That is a battle at the other end of the table. You can see both of those games, of course, live on BT Sport. Saturday for the Tigers-Saints game, Sunday for the London Irish against Newcastle Falcons, which all leads up. We bypass Wasps and Worcester Warriors because you can then see Toulon against Bath Sunday on BT Sport Europe. Huge, huge games. Rugby tonight will be back next Monday, 8 o'clock on BT Sport 1, where we'll be chatting with none other than Sir Matthew Pinson. I get a horrible feeling that the rowing machines will be out. If you want to join us there, please do. It's audience at rugbytonight.com. Big thanks to Ryan Jones and that wonderful shirt. To all the girls from the England 7 squad, give them a round of applause. And to all our audience tonight, thank you so much. We will see you all again next week. And we finish with clapping just a few more balls at Ryan Jones. Good night. Thanks for listening to the Rugby Tonight podcast. We'll be back again next Monday on BT Sport 1 for more rugby insight and analysis. See you then. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bolin Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bolin Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bolandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50% to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 